Welcome to Goodwill Hunters. Here, we'll explore the ultimate question, how to use profits for purpose. It's been said business must help solve the global challenges we face. In this podcast, we explore how. How can the private and not-for-profits work better together? What truly constitutes aid and progress? And how can we transform international development? Here, we talk with the thought leaders, the game changers, the intellectuals, and the campaigners. I'm your host, Rachel Mason-Nunn, and this is Goodwill Hunters. Welcome to episode 59 of Goodwill Hunters with Nigel Spence, the outgoing CEO of Child's Fund Australia. Nigel retired from Child's Fund at the end of 2019 after 14 years with the organisation. Under his leadership, Child's Fund has expanded its programs to children and young people in Vietnam and Papua New Guinea and commenced new operations in Cambodia, Laos, Myanmar and Timor-Leste. Nigel is taking some time off to continue his studies into child protection policies in Vietnam before continuing his work in the social sector in Australia. You may recall a few weeks back I aired the talk that Nigel delivered at the Power Lick Lick NGO Forum organised by the Kokoda Track Foundation in Sydney in October 2019. In this episode, Nigel and I dive a bit deeper into some topics that are very important to our sector, including sport for development, our aid review and child sponsorship. I'll be extending my editorials prior to each podcast with the intention of generating more conversation around our episodes. On that note, please join our social media community and share your thoughts on each episode. In this episode, you'll hear Nigel and I talk about Child Fund's work in the area of sport for development. It feels like sport and aid programs were once an unlikely pair, but in recent years, many NGOs in Australia have implemented sports-based programs as a means of building relationships in communities, teaching vital life skills, combating non-communicable diseases, and more. In fact, Australian Aid has been funding sport for development programs since 2009. According to the DFAT website, sport is a vehicle to achieve development outcomes in areas such as health, gender and disability inclusion. In my view, sport has its own inherent benefits to communities, but it's also an effective means of outreach and relationship building and has flow-on effects to other development programs. As a country that prides itself on sport, it also makes sense for sport to be part of our unique aid identity in Australia. In this episode, we also discuss why economic growth doesn't always equate to widespread poverty reduction, despite popular belief that the two go hand in hand. Countries in Southeast Asia especially exemplify that increased economic growth alone doesn't result in improvements nationwide to the well-being of communities. This part of the discussion gets to the heart of why economic growth doesn't always justify decreased aid support. The other topic I particularly like in this discussion is child sponsorship. Child Fund continues to have child sponsorship as an element of its fundraising and outreach strategy, however has diversified into several other funding streams as well. Nigel and I chat about how child sponsorship has evolved as child protection laws are tightened and how exactly Child Fund administers sponsorship funds. So, where do you sit on the Sport for Development agenda and should it play an even bigger role in our aid policy? Where has economic growth not equated to widespread poverty reduction and how do we rewrite this narrative? And lastly, how do we build connections between Australians and people in countries our aid supports with respect for cultural nuance and identity? As always, enjoy the episode. Nigel, thanks for chatting with me. A pleasure. Thanks, Rachel. Now, I want to start with a statement that you made at the recent 
NGO forum, um, you said that early on in your career at Child's Fund, someone told you that Child's Fund wouldn't last and it did and it did more than just last. It it has continued to be one of the most successful international development charities in Australia. Um, So if we could start with that reflection, what's made Child Fund so successful? Look, I mean, it's always, uh, you know, got to be careful talking about the success of an organisation. Things can change quickly. But look, we have have enjoyed a... um, a really good, uh, I think, period over the last uh, 14 years or so. Um, and I, look, I, th- I think there's lots of things that we've tried hard to do as a team, Rachel. I think we've tried really hard to, uh, worked hard to to get really focused, to be serious about impact, to be serious about quality, um, to narrow down to some degree the, the geographic and range of program areas that we're working in. And uh, engage more authentically, both with our, the communities that we're trying to serve and also with our supporters. There's just been a lot of sheer hard work and perseverance. We've had to do a lot to modernise our approach, modernise our program approach, modernise our, our systems and policies, get them really up to, up to standard. Um, and then we've also tried, we've also worked to diversify our revenue. When I started 14 years ago, Child Fund was very, very dependent on child sponsorship pretty much as the only source of funding. Um, that's remained really important and still it's an important way for people to, to support international development. But it's now just one of many revenue streams that we have. Yeah, of course, of course. And I think Child Fund's transformation over the last 14 to 15 years is a really interesting thing for us to discuss. I guess staying on that topic, though, I mean, the identity of Child Fund moving away from child sponsorship and towards um, diversified funding models and and really establishing itself as an innovative organisation in the development landscape. Can you go into more detail on that transformation and how you kind of shed the label of being an old school charity um, and modernised? I think I think what we what we did was to first of all, I think in a sense, kind of rediscover our, our niche or our, our, our core purpose and and rediscover what it meant to be a genuinely child focused organisation. And I think that meant that we started to engage much more deeply with, with, with children and youth directly, um, child participation, if you like, to try and really get kids much more directly involved with their voice in our work. And we did a lot of interesting projects uh, quite some time ago to really understand and listen to kids. Um, and I think that was important not only because it, I think it improved our perspective on what children need and want, but also I think it started to demonstrate to stakeholders and supporters that we were we're moving in new directions. I think we also were uh, willing to collaborate with new and different partners, often with kind of unusual suspects. Um, uh, I guess the obvious example there is our partnership with with various sports, particularly the sport of rugby, and the way that's led to some very innovative programs using rugby as a tool for development in in the Mekong region. So yeah, I, th- I think there was, was, was a number of things. Um, um, uh, I think it was also just a big, a major refresh on our communications, the way we told our story um, and, and our use of social media also helped. Yeah, that, that's great. So let's let's deep dive into that point you made there on the, the Rugby World Cup. So that's definitely an innovative partnership. Can you talk about the transformation of sports for development and, and how this partnership came to be? Yeah, it's got, it's got quite a long his, history. But look, the short version is that um, for Child Fund, as we were just saying, we, we, Chopin was keen to experiment with new and different types of programs that 
that um, were, were effective with children and young people. We ex started experimenting in around 20, 2012 uh, with um, various sports, uh, starting in Laos, um, unusually. And, um, and, 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 of course, we found that sport is a really, a really effective way to engage young people not not every not every child and young person wants to to do it, but lots of kids do, and um, it was a really quick and easy way to engage kids. And then, to along with good sporting programs, to uh, design some really good life skills curriculum to go with that. So we, we developed in around 2013-2014 with some quite expert um, partners, including Women Win, really great um, uh, sport for development specialist agency started to develop some th these new approaches. The uh, rugby, for various reasons, including a resonance with their values, their, their stated values, was a we found was a good fit. The program took off, the program expanded. Asia Rugby, then World Rugby, really uh, liked what we were doing um, and we established a formal partnership with them, with them uh, was able to grow further. And then in around 2016, 2017, we started talking to World Rugby about being the, the charity partner, so-called, for their Rugby World Cup, which is suppose, which is, which is the, by most measures, the sort of the third largest mega global sporting event. So that was a fantastic opportunity, and, and we secured that opportunity. And, and again, so in, in, the, in the Rugby World Cup, which completed last month in Japan, with a massive worldwide audience, um, Child Fund was featured as the social purpose partner got a lot of profile, got a lot of funding through that, which will go back and further expand the Child Fund Pass It Back Rugby for Development program. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a terrific story for us. Um, more importantly, great story for the young people. There's now, we're, we're getting moving towards 25,000 young people in Southeast Asia who will benefit from the program. It's been well evaluated and the kind of confidence and uh, life skills that they're acquiring uh, are really having very exciting results. You know, there's some very exciting youth leadership that's emerged through this program across lots of communities in the Mekong region. How is that youth leadership emerging? Like, is it because young people are finally being given the the platform to, to do something meaningful like sport? Yes, I, I, it, there's no doubt that, that engaging with sport um, is, is, is a very energising uh experience for, for young people and combined with these life skills where, and it's, and it's quite a, it, it's an in-depth life skills program. What, one of the things we're proud about with this program is it's not, it, it, we, we do find that in sport for development, you can get a lot of sports where they just do a little bit of really light touch knowledge and skills development, or you get some really heavy life skills program that try and mix in a bit of sport. And the balance is generally wrong on both, in, in both cases. I think we feel our program is particularly successful because it's it's very uh, the, the the rugby skills are very um, uh, are strong and, and and aligned with the accredited you know rugby curriculum and the life skills uh, programming which is around gender equality um, planning for the future peer support sexual and reproductive health um, first aid is part of it all, all sorts of life skills it, it's, it's a very deep um, it's a deep dive into these life skills, but closely integrated. That combination is very powerful. So we see young young women, and, and more than 50% of the participants are girls and young women and young men who, you know, lots of these people, they dropped out of school and and some of them have gone back to school. Lots of them have uh, are planning their own businesses and, and 
um, initiatives in their communities. Many of them have become young leaders in their local government, in their commune um, committees. And uh, I was thrilled uh, two weeks ago to be out in one of the outer provinces of Vietnam and I, I met a group of young women there who just started their own sports club. Um, they'd graduated from Chathan Passerback and they just started the Kim Boy Wildcats. And the Kim Boy Wildcats um, of their own initiative are a self-managed, self-run youth group and sports uh, club for, for young women in a remote um, district. Just a fantastic story where this kind of leadership's coming through. That is a fantastic story. And I think as you're explaining that, I, I'm understanding that sport is an entry point or an access point into communities to then go and do deeper human development work, right? So I think that's where sport fits in um, in, in one way is that in communities that might be difficult to access, um, you know, such as groups of uh, young people and adolescents, Mm. By launching a sports program, it kind of lets you in to then go and do more meaningful, broader human development work. That's right. That, that's exactly right. And, of course, these are communities where organised sport, well, for, for most kids, they've never played organised sport of any time. Um, and, uh, and they're just so hungry for that opportunity. And so it's a very quick way to engage. But, again, I, I would just make the point that it's, it's not about one one goal being necessarily stronger than the other. You know, learning a sport is really highly valued by the kids and learning life skills is vital to human development. So, so both have to, be, have to be strong. The examples that you've shared there um, sound as though they're primarily concentrated in Asia. I'm not sure if the sport for development work is also happening in the Pacific. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And there are, and there are uh, a greater number of organizations which are now experimenting with sport for development in the Pacific but your child fund is also uh, uh, doing the rugby program uh, in um, in modified form in in um, uh, we've worked with um, UN women and um, Fiji rugby to to do some of it in Fiji we're doing a, a cricket uh, for development initiative we're doing a pilot with the International Cricket Council in Papua New Guinea using many of the principles and learnings that we've got from Child Fund Pass It Back. So, yeah, there's, there's, um, there's several other uh, initiatives underway. And I, I think this is um, going to continue to be a really promising and valuable, useful growing area for development organisations like Child Fund. And as this has emerged for Child Fund, where is sport for development now fitting into Child Fund's portfolio more broadly, because Child Fund is, of course, in a number of other areas in addition to sport. Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's creating some interesting questions inside the organisation because uh, most of our programs to this point have been in what you might describe more conventional areas of um, education, um, particularly, particularly elementary and primary education, lower secondary, um, uh, maternal and child health, child protection, um, and Sport for Development began as a, an innovative, smaller program, but has now grown to such a large, large extent that it's become a, a major program area in its own right within our organisation and still growing. So we have to, I think, rethink this. It's no longer kind of a novelty. It's no longer kind of a, an added extra. It's now becoming a core program for the organisation. And, um, and and it means we have, we have to think about internally how to reorganise to support that um, with, within our organisation and within our global family because, you know, certainly you're aware that Child Fund Australia is part of a, 
a global group, the Child Fund Alliance of 11 members working in 60 countries. So we're, we're also trying to work out with our global family how to situate this in our kind of program mix. And at the end of our conversation, I'd like to come back to the future for Child Fund and any any parting words that you have for the organisation. But before we do that, I think talking about working in the Pacific and also working in Asia is obviously very topical at the moment in light of the uh, proposed or announced yesterday, the, the aid policy review that's going on. Um, and the part of that conversation that I've been hearing a lot, which I think is particularly relevant to our discussion, is is our emphasis on the Pacific too great? And are we forgetting the immense need that also exists in Asia, as well as the significant opportunity for Australia con- to continue to deepen our, our bilateral relationships in Asia? Great question. I, I, think, I think the I mean, I think I would say, and I think Child Fund would say that um, the this this big push on the Pacific is really welcome. You know, I, I think we, for sure, Australia should be a huge contributor and and an active listener uh, with our neighbours in the Pacific. The development needs are really really high. Um, as a child focused organisation, you know, we have lots of concerns for the lack of education that so many kids who lack basic literacy and numeracy, um, lots of child protection issues, uh, levels of violence in some communities really, really high. So the development need in the Pacific is is very, very high and warrants a lot, lot more investment. And Australia and New Zealand are going to be have to be the ones to do that. Um, so I, I think that emphasis is right. But, but we, I, we would equally say, I would equally say, not at the expense certainly of the, of the, uh, of, of the near Asian region. Um, where for sure there's been lots of economic progress, but still such pockets of poverty and rising inequality, um, lots of um, lots of places like uh, in, in Myanmar and Timor and so many other countries in our region where there are still are very severe levels of poverty, um, very high levels of malnutrition for kids, um, lots of kids still not in school, uh, maternal and child health, you know, nowhere near where it should be. So, so there's such an, a, a strong, compelling need as well in Southeast Asia. And again, I think Australia uh, is seen as being a has been seen as being a leader in in the region, um, and we can't afford to let that drop. So, I, I think I would say let's continue with the step up in the Pacific, but let's redouble and and regain the effort that we were making previously in in the Asia Asia region. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I I heard a statistic yesterday that really amazed me, which was that there are 160 million people in Indonesia alone that live below the average income in the Pacific, Mm. which Mm. really highlights that despite Indonesia as as one of our nearest neighbours having experienced enormous economic growth, inequality is persistent and I think in our and and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this I think in our aid discussions it seems as though we mistake economic growth for the elimination of poverty and inequality where the reality is often they don't go hand in hand that that that, exactly right exactly right I mean there there are so many there's so many continuing problems in in and, and as you say large numbers vast numbers in the case of Indonesia um uh uh, but also even in, even in Vietnam, which of course is such a fantastic um, economic success story in so many ways, uh, 
uh, up up in the you know the the outer the outlying northern and northern provinces and some of the central provinces and parts of the delta region they still have very large populations of uh, large populations which are which are below the poverty line and and haven't benefited from the economic growth elsewhere in the country australia can still play a role has an important role to play in working with uh, the government of Vietnam and local actors to to address that. I was in Myanmar just a, a couple of months ago and working uh, meeting with um, uh, slum communities on the outskirts of of Yangon and there's there's you know legions of kids who uh, working kids um, who are not in school uh, who are self-supporting often without parents because parents have moved away for work or parents have died or um, really kids in extreme, extreme poverty um, and there's no programs that are currently reaching them, um, none internationally and none locally. So the, 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 the extent and the severity of, of the needs, um, and again, child funds focus particularly on kids, is, is really alarming. And I think that example highlights why we have eight. Like I think, I think mm. people that... Um, aren't involved in the sector, it can be easy to believe that every single part of a developing country is covered by aid agencies. Like we've got every geography covered and the reality is that there continue to be many areas um, in in Asia that, that don't have access to any kind of support um, either domestically or from international aid organisations. That's right. That's right. You know, and the, these kids I met in Myanmar, I mean, they, they there haven't been any programs from NGOs or from governments of any sort uh, really um, uh, just just haven't touched them um, and uh, and these are kids have been out of school and and largely many of them orphaned for you know for for uh, for a long time so um, yeah it's the, the 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 level of investment in development um, is still way below what it needs to be to to um, to reach them and to you know if there's, if there's any if, if it, and that investment's needed, there's going to be any chance of reaching the ambition of the sustainable development goals. You know, leave no child behind, leave no one behind. And well, there's a there's a there's a huge number of kids who are still being left behind at, at this at this moment. Now, more broadly on the aid review, what's your take on the review so far from the information that we know, and do you have any sense of what it means for the NGO sector? Look, I, I think I I I I'm welcoming the opportunity, welcoming the review. I. I I, I, I accept that the the minister and um, is announcing this with genuine intent to get input and, and improve Australia's aid program. Um, I, I I'm disappointed that the government already seems to have ruled out any increase to the budget. You know, or, already to send a bit of a mixed message that aid's important, but not that important that we'd consider raising it. Um, I think that's, that's sending the wrong message. Um, so it does seem to suggest that the aid review will be more about the types of priorities and geographic focus and perhaps moving resources around within within a finite budget. That's, um, that, that limits, uh, I think, the value of, of, of the exercise. But still, it's, a, it's, it's, it's welcome. It gives NGOs like Child Fund the chance to, um, you know, promote the kinds of ideas which we think are important to keep evolving and modernising and progressing Australia's aid program. You know, it, it, it's challenging because some 
uh, sort of related aspects of government policy have, have been, I think, have presented difficulties for lots of us in the overseas aid area. I'm thinking of uh, climate change, which we, which we know is having such massive impacts on development. Is this an area where the government is willing to entertain, you know, addressing climate change as part alongside its aid program? I, I would hope so. Um, the, the treatment of people on the move, people who are displaced, refugees, asylum seekers, people who are, are stateless, um, such a massive issue now in development. Again, is this something the government is willing to consider how to respond more effectively to, to people in those situations? I, I certainly would hope so. But, um, you know, I, I, I guess for some of us, it's just a question as to whether there's a willingness to consider these types of issues, which are so vital to the future of development. Definitely. And, and, and of the current aid budget, um, the NGO sector receives between 10 and 11% of that budget as is. And it, it, I mean, I think it's unclear whether the proportion of the aid budget going to NGOs is likely to increase or decrease or stay the same as, as a result of this review. Uh, but what we do know, as you touched on earlier, is that NGOs have had to diversify their revenue streams um, because it's just impractical to be entirely reliant on government funding. And for Child Fund, that has meant a reduction in child sponsorship focus and a, and a refocus on other areas. Um, so I'm keen to hear about that and particularly um, your take on child sponsorship more broadly um, and kind of where that fits into our contemporary development landscape. Uh, look, look, first of all, I would say in terms of the aid review, Again, I, I would I'd repeat that I think it, it is a useful and valuable opportunity and it gives us an important time to have a conversation about how to improve the aid program and and financing uh, for, for financing of aid, finance for development um, can and should be, and I think it will be, an important uh, topic within the review. Uh, you're looking at new uh, alternative uh, ways of financing development um, things like social impact investing and so on. I think there's a real place for that in this review. So that, that could be quite exciting. Um, look, for, for, for an organisation like Child Fund where we've um, moved, we, we haven't we haven't in, in any way stopped valuing child sponsorship. We absolutely think child sponsorship continues to be a, uh, a valuable way that many people still want to connect um, their, usually their, 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 their own, Family circumstance through to the to um, a connection with with uh, a child and a community overseas. Uh, you know, it, it, it kind of makes poverty alleviation personal. It's about a, a direct connection to an authentic connection between people that also contributes funds for for important projects. So, I I I I would say it's still very much got a part in development today. Um, but we do know that that many. Uh, Australians, including younger Australians, um, are, are less enthusiastic than their parents were about this type of support. Um, whereas people of my generation, you know, uh, were very quick to sponsor kids and it was a very popular form of support. Younger people generally looking for a whole variety of different ways to engage, to provide financial and other support. So it's it's less popular than it used to, used to be, but still for some, it's it's a, a very important experience and and look for it's not just for the sponsor either for the, the the child and family at the other end in the community 
uh, it can be quite meaningful. We know that kids do, many kids do have a genuine interest in what their sponsor is doing and the, the letters and photos that come through. Can we, um, I'd be really interested to hear the practicalities of that child sponsorship um, for child fund before we move on, because I think sometimes um, it can be confusing how, how precisely that works. Is one Australian donor paired with one child overseas or, or you know, as much detail as you can go into it, how, how practically does it work? Yeah, look, look it's, it's a good question because child sponsorship models do, in fact, vary from agency to agency. Um, they're not all exactly the same. In the case of Child Fund, um, the way we do child sponsorship is there is a unique uh, and single connection between a sponsor and a and a child or, or the child's family. So, um, so if I, if I sponsor a, a child in, in Cambodia, then there is... Uh, a real connection made with a real person, a real child, a single child, not not a child who's kind of symbolic of for, for lots and lots of sponsors. It's just it's a one-to-one connection, um, and uh, and I can uh, I can write uh, to that child and that child's family, and that child, if they chooses to, can can r- write back, and we can exchange letters and photos. Um, we don't exchange identifying details. Many of the through child fund, we're not able to find the location or the or the specific circumstances of each other, um, and then the funds that are provided, they do not go. But the funds don't go to that specific child or to that family. The the funds that I provide as a child sponsor with child fund are pooled at the community level, which generally means a district level, so that projects in in the that country, let's say it's Cambodia, can be undertaken, which benefit lots of kids, including the, the, the sponsored child. So there might be a, an education project which which builds classrooms and trains teachers to benefit many kids in that community, not just the sponsored child. That's really interesting to hear. So, so Child Fund's child sponsorship model does build a very genuine human-to-human connection. Absolutely. It, it is, it is a, a very real human-to-human connection to unique individuals, uh, the sponsor and the child, or often it's the, the family on behalf of the child, who are connected with one another. It was an interesting point that you made there, that no identifying features are shared, and it got me thinking about how in the last, say, five to ten years when the notion of child protection in development programs has become even more topical. Yes, look, it, it's 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 had a it's had a huge impact, um, and we've 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 quickly become aware in the last uh, decade of the potential risks if we're not super careful around this. Um, and so there's very close uh, there's very tight procedures around uh, the uh, management of data and information. So so the the sponsor and the child still. Uh, receive photos of each other and and first names, but addresses, for example, are, are not shared, and it's not possible for the sponsor and child or child's family to write to each other other than through the organisation. So we don't we, we we do as much as we possibly can to prevent any unmediated communication between between the parties. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear. Um, now moving on slightly at at the recent Ackford conference you did uh, win a very esteemed award um, in in recognition of your immense contribution to the sector so I think it would be 
remiss of me to not ask you what advice you have for other CEOs um, in the sector as well as future CEOs in organisations. Uh, look, it, it was a you know it was such a great great honour. You know, I was so I felt so privileged um, to uh, have uh, a claim from from peers in Ackford, um, so many of whom who I admire and and have learnt from such a lot. You know, over over the years. Um, so I don't I don't think they need my advice at all. I think they, they they're, they're working it out. I, th- I think for me, I, I've just I, I've tried to. Um, I've, I've tried to stay uh, as best as as possible, you know, really uh, committed to the central cause, to, to to remain really focused on the fact that we exist to serve kids and uh, families and communities. Um, there's so many pressures on CEOs to worry about fundraising, uh, to worry about um, donor relationships, to deal with legal compliance and so on, all, all things which are really important. But ultimately, they're not the purpose or the reason for existence of the organisation. So, got to keep, got to keep really clear-sighted about the central focus, central purpose, and do everything we possibly can to be authentic around that. For me, I just think it's been. Uh, I, I think it's so important for CEOs individually and for organisations to keep learning. You know, we, we've got to keep always be open to new ideas, always. Um, uh, reflective and self-critical in, 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 you know, in a constructive way, um, open to new ideas, keep learning, deal, deal, treat everyone with respect. Respect is so essential in our engagement with local people, whether that's in Papua New Guinea or whether that's in Timor or, you know, wherever. Um, uh, and it's critical to the way we engage with our supporters to be honest with supporters, to be authentic with them as well. So I don't know, that, 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 that those are the, some of the, the ways that I've tried to work and I, I feel our team has tried to work to those kinds of principles at Child Fund. Yeah, definitely. Now, is there any vision that, that you hold for Child Fund for the future? Is there any parting advice that you're giving the organisation? Mm-hmm. Um, again, I, I think they, they, they don't... They, They'll do fine without me, so they don't necessarily need that. But look, I just really hope that Child Fund in Australia and globally stays really true to its cause. It keeps a real authentic engagement with children and young people. Whatever it does, keep listening to children and young people. Give them voice, give them space, uh, empower them to to participate and have their say. Really listen to what they've got to say, um, um, because I think that when, when I say you know we need to we need to. I think organisationally and individually keep learning all the time. It's not only about technical knowledge about, you know, how to do a really great uh, a gender equality project or how to do a really great child protection project. It's also about local knowledge and understanding of local context, the 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 experiences and perspectives of local people in the world that they inhabit. How to learn from learn from them. Yeah, I think what you've articulated really well there is is. The importance of participatory and highly inclusive uh, approaches to development, which I think I can confidently say has has really become the norm in our international development sector in Australia. That this participatory lens of of development um, is very mainstream now. Would you agree? Um, look, I think it's absolutely mainstream as an agreed standard. I, I, I do think if we're challenging ourselves, we don't always deliver it uh, in practice. 
um, and uh, as often as we should. Um, yeah, so I, I think there's still a long way to go. Okay, so to close then, as you enter this next um, era of your career, uh, what would success look like for you 10 years from now? 10 years from now, well, that's a long time, isn't it? Um, I mean, for me at the moment, I'm planning on taking a break uh, and, uh, and, and and continuing with my, my, my studies. I'm, I'm in researching child protection policy in Vietnam and uh, I'd, I'd like to continue with that. But Look, I, I really would like to continue to make a contribution to to social purpose organisations uh, in international development or domestically, which is my earlier work history. Um, and uh, and to I hope I can continue to have the privilege of working with such inspiring people that I've had the pleasure of working with over the last fourteen years at, at Child Fund. You know, the people in the countries that I've visited and the and the and the so many sort of principled, hardworking, good good colleagues that I've worked with. Um, I hope I continue to enjoy um, more time with people like that. Wonderful. Okay. Thanks, Nigel, for your time. Pleasure. That's it for episode fifty nine. For all of our listeners taking a break during the festive season, I hope you have a happy and safe time, and I look forward to sharing much more content with you in twenty twenty. Our next episode gets to the heart of our aid policy review and contains a lot of food for thought. I think you'll love it. See you next time. 